Welcome to Hidden Voices, the podcast series which explores the less heard voices in health and social care. I'm Rachel and I work for Healthwatch Essex. It's our job to make sure that people's experiences help to improve health and social care services. In this episode, we're joined by Laura, who has an autoimmune condition causing alopecia and who works with others to help raise awareness of the condition and improve representation in mainstream media. Hi, Laura. Hello. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Thank you for joining us. So, yeah, it would just be really great to hear a bit about your experiences. It'd be great to understand a bit about just generically alopecia and what it is. And you mentioned autoimmune conditions as well. So how those two interplay with one another. Yeah, of course. So alopecia is an autoimmune condition and it is basically when your immune system is overreacting to a stimulus or something in your body. So in this case my hair follicles are considered like an enemy by my body Ah, so my body rushes to protect me like it would if there was a virus or a flu or covid you know (laughs) um and yeah so it attacks my hair follicles causing them to fall out and actually damaging the hair follicles long term so i was 13 when i first developed a small little bald patch at the back of my head right and that progressed pretty quickly uh, and the patches started joining up and the doctor said it was alopecia. And he explained that I was predispositioned to have something like alopecia because I also have asthma and eczema, which are other autoimmune conditions where the body is overreacting to things around it. So for instance, my eczema might flare if I was in a really dusty room. It's a great excuse to not hoover, but it's also a vicious cycle because then I need to hoover because dust, I'm allergic to it. But um, it's that kind of thing of there's a stimulus, my body doesn't like it, it goes into overdrive and then actually it causes either, it causes more damage almost Yeah. in the sense of now I am a bald woman, which at 13 years old, it's not ideal to be bald. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of what alopecia and autoimmune is. Okay, so then, so when that happened... What was that moment like when, because as a 13 year old, that's a lot to sort of, I, I guess, just take in. And did you realize the enormity of it at the time and kind of think about what's this going to be like or how is it going to impact on my life? Or was it more of kind of an immediate, how do we deal with this? I don't think it was either of those things. I think at that moment of finding that first bald patch, I just went into panic of this isn't happening. Mm. or no one seems to know what this is. So we went to the doctor and then he said, stress has triggered it, but you know, you're predispositioned to get this kind of stuff, but try not to worry about it. I'm sure it will come back. Most cases, it will grow back. Yeah. And so it was just to pretend it's not happening, you know, Uh cover it up. And I just went into like burying my head in the sand really. Yeah. Um, So then when I was waking up in the morning with more and more hair on my pillow. Every time I was washing my hair, it was coming out in my hands. It was traumatizing, it was horrible because I basically developed a phobia of washing my hair or, you know, going out on a windy day. And Mm. it really started progressing really quickly. And then I was panicking that because I was stressing about it, was that causing more hair loss? So it was a really, to use the phrase again, vicious cycle. And it felt completely out of my control, but I felt because the doctor had told me that it was caused by stress, that somehow he was trying to tell me that it was within my control. All of that was just far too much for my 13 year old brain at high school with my parents divorcing to just, that was just too much for me to emotionally comprehend. Yeah. It's it's almost an impossible situation, isn't it? Because 
it's like being told not to stress yeah. about something that is inherently stressful mm-hmm. and that it's causing it. I mean, that is mind blowing for, for anybody to deal with, let alone a child. Mm. So if you had your time again and you were that kind of 13 year old with a doctor, what would you have loved to have had done differently? I would have wanted the doctor to really take the time to recognize the impact of the diagnosis itself in the sense that alopecia and autoimmune conditions in general are so random and so out of control, it would have been good for the medical professional to acknowledge that the way he was telling me could impact how then I went on to deal with it, you know, or basically admitting that even as a medical professional, they don't always have the answers, but to reassure me that there would be support available, or I don't know, that it was something that I would learn to manage the whole kind of holistic approach to it rather than just, oh, well, we can give you some steroid cream and it might support the hair growth a bit. And then when it got too bad, just the assumption that it was time to get a wig and hide the fact that I didn't have hair. There was never an adult kind of helping me to interrogate what it meant to kind of just live with a visible difference rather than disguise it. And that's important actually at those formative years as well. If you receive even subliminal messaging that, you know, the way you are isn't the way that society expects you to be, that's very, it's it's difficult for anybody, but at a formative age, it can really impact, can't it, on mm. how you experience the world, I guess, in the future. So did you find that medical professionals spoke to you about it or was it mainly because of your age, they were liaising with your parents and kind of expecting parents to manage it with you i remember my mum always being there and my mum was very hands-on because she has autoimmune conditions of eczema and asthma and very severely i've always been conscious of those autoimmune conditions and the impact they've had on her life Mm. you know for instance her really bad atopic eczema has stopped her going out for days she's had the kind of eczema that is visibly very sore and she looks different. So actually, I feel she can empathise with me in a sense because she's lived with a visible difference in a sense. Yeah. But I kind of just shut it all out. All I can reflect on is that I clearly wasn't coping. And I don't know what the heck I did for about six months because I stopped going to school. I just wouldn't go to school. I wouldn't. My dad dropped me at the school gates in Ipswich and I walked 20 odd miles home rather than go through the school gates because I just couldn't bear to be seen with what I had left of my hair, which wow. I like to call the golem look because, you know, I had a really, <laughs> I can say this, no one else can say no, that. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, it. I was trying to disguise it and it was exhausting every single day, trying to hide the fact that I was progressively going bald. Did you have any experiences at school, negative experiences? I'm really lucky that I had really good friends and went to a really lovely school, but I wasn't coping and I just refused to engage and I just couldn't deal with it. And I stopped. I just, everything just stopped. Mm. I just, I I barely left the house. That is what I do remember. But I know my mum was in conversation with the school because obviously they were asking what's happened to Laura? Why isn't she coming in? So they were told what was happening. Um, I know they did an assembly while I was off about alopecia to the other school kids. Yeah. But I didn't even know how to talk to my friends about it. I remember I had a friend that would call me every week to check when I was coming back. And then obviously Mm. after a few months, that kind of dropped off. Mm. Um, So I didn't have to deal with people or, you know, my peers' response until I decided to go back at the start of the new academic year in year 10. Yeah. Because GCSEs were about to kick off and... You know, my dad's a teacher and I'd always been quite academic. So it, it was weird. It was like, a, I just kind of thought, I have to go back now. I can't just keep yeah. hiding in the house. I have to deal with this. But my response to dealing with it was 
putting on a hat and going back to school. And I had a group of friends run up to me outside the school gates and give me a massive hug. And it was lovely. And my mum always talks about watching from the car and being so relieved to see that support. But then obviously, as soon as you go back into the classroom, I was making myself look different because I didn't want to take my hat off. Mm -hmm. I'd briefed all the teachers, or rather my mum had, that I wanted to be sat at the back of class so Mm -hmm. that no one could see the back of my head. Some teachers got the memo, some of them didn't. The anxiety and again, the energy that I was wasting and spending when I should have just been concentrating on just being at school and enjoying myself and learning. Yeah. It was all just expended on being terrified of people thinking or noticing about my alopecia. And I did have a few boys in the year because I'd lost a lot of weight as well because when I'd been off school, I basically just exercised all day. Mm. So that's a whole other topic, but maybe because that was in my control, whereas my hair loss wasn't, I do wonder. I put it all back on again now, you know, I'm 31. But <laughs> Yeah, was it a coping mechanism or was it something that sort of distracted you from... Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think 100%. And also, what was I doing as a 13-year-old just in the house all day? How boring. Like, obviously, I needed stimulation. I needed to do stuff. So. Well, we all know the cost of that from the pandemic. Uh-huh. People being isolated, people not being connected with their peers. And it's a huge issue, isn't it, when you yeah. take children out of school for a prolonged period of time, not just for their learning, but for their development in other ways. Yeah. So, and you can see why schools work so hard and parents work so hard mm. to try to get children back to school. But I don't underestimate how challenging it must have been, particularly after that gap and that period of time. And there must have been a point then where you moved into that really challenging phase for all of us where you're beginning to think about, you know, relationships and growing up. So what was what was dating like for you, for example? Oh, it was non-existent. I was terrified. I I was a bald teenager. So I felt like I was not worthy. Mm. And that sounds so extreme and dramatic, but it's like everything around me, society, magazines, movies, whatever, it sounds cheesy, but it is true. I could not see myself in any of the rom-coms. I couldn't see any positive example Mm. of a happy, healthy, bald woman that was desirable. So I hid behind my wig and I treated it like a dirty secret. I would maybe get some attention from a guy and one of my first proper relationships at university I was dating someone for three months before I told them that I wore Mm. a wig I don't know if he knew I don't know you know I mean he wasn't particularly emotionally mature looking back I don't know (laughs) I'd even class it as a relationship now but I would agonize about revealing this part of myself which made it so much worse you know I was kissing a guy in a club at uni and he pulled away and he said your hair's weird and I, I literally ran away. I ran out of the club and I went and I kissed someone else in my halls because I needed that <laughs> ego boost. Not the right way to deal with it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. But I think the thing I've realized is it's about how you set the tone because I was so anxious and because I didn't feel worthy and I felt being a bald woman made me less desirable and that it was, it was wrong and there was a problem with me. I was setting the tone for how someone had to respond to me. Whereas now, obviously, I'm very visible online. So if someone was going to find me, they're going to see I'm bald, which Mm. definitely helps. I've even changed my LinkedIn profile now because I just I want to declare it. I want to get out of the way because it is a big part of me. And then I don't have to worry about revealing it. But also I feel now when people do say something to me like, hey, I like your hair. I'll say, oh, thank you. It's a wig. And then it just tends to lead to a conversation Recently, I went to an event bald, chatting away to, you know, an attractive guy. And I just thought 13 year old me would never dream that I would have the confidence to be standing here, feeling my best self and chatting Mm. to someone, you know, 
yeah it's amazing really isn't it but it's you know you have to go on a journey to get to that point I'm not surprised whenever you were younger and dating and coming to terms with this condition that you had that it was really challenging to get into that space and I actually can't imagine keeping something that you're really anxious about secret for three months the cost to yourself of holding that even yeah no it caused it caused massive problems and even in my most recent relationship I wasn't there yet So I've actually not had to go into a relationship yet with this new mindset. But with my most recent boyfriend, when I finally really worked up the courage to tell him this thing, he was like, wait, hang on. Are you talking about the fact that you don't have hair? And I said, yeah, yeah. And he was like, well, I I know. And I was like, hang on, how do you know? I mean, yeah, I guess my wig's kind of obvious, I guess, you know. And he said, well, no, I heard you talking to someone about it. Like, you know, I overheard you and you were really like, I just assumed you were confident because you were chatting away to someone I overheard. Oh, wow. So I was like, you're telling me that I have just been agonized. I had nightmares. I literally had nightmares about waking up in the night and him being next to me and my wig having fallen off. I would be in relationships wearing my wig during the night. And considering I've told you with my eczema how I would often Mm. have open bleeding cuts on my head, the extent I would go to to disguise my alopecia. Whereas if I was embracing it, well, my boyfriend knows me as a bald woman now. It's, you know, it might be a treat if I put on a wig or not even (laughs) a treat. I think he's just like, okay, like, it's like wearing a different dress or... It's interesting, isn't it though, that because he overheard you and he believed you were confident in it, he didn't even think to raise mm-hmm. it as an issue to talk about. And and that's interesting in itself, isn't it? Because obviously it wasn't important enough to him to want to raise it as a distinct conversation. Yeah. Whereas for you, you were still holding it as this kind of, I guess, that, that dirty secret that you mm-hmm. were talking about before. That comes at a huge mental cost. And I'm not saying every guy, girl or whatever is going to respond with emotional maturity. Mm. But I would say overwhelmingly from my experience and that of those I've spoken to, whatever the worst case scenario that you imagine is, and I really got creative when I was thinking about some of the scenarios that could happen when revealing that I was a bald woman to people I was dating. The reaction is never like that. It is never the worst case scenario. If you've built it up and declare this thing, they almost feel they have to react. And so they might have like, oh, okay, if they didn't know, but it's really not a big deal. Mm. It might take a second to get their head around if you've built it up. But like with my current boyfriend, it just, it's just a thing. Is there ever a situation, because I could imagine um, a situation where it's it's not about the hair loss, it's about the honesty. Like mm. they feel like they've been very close with you, but there hasn't been a level of honesty both ways. Has that ever happened where you've held on to something for a long time, really understandably, but then that's come between you because it's trust? I don't think I've let it get that far and I've not dated around the globe. My alopecia has held me back in lots of ways and I think pursuing people that I fancied was definitely a huge part of that. But I never let it get to the point, I don't think, where it became a trust issue. But flipping it on its head, for me, I remember thinking with friendships, for example, at uni, I think I ended up telling probably no more than 10 people in my entire three years at university. Mm because I would see it as almost like a friendship test. Like if I felt really comfortable with someone, it was time to let them know that I wore a wig. I just wanted them to know Mm. as an FYI. Yeah. When looking back now, I'm like, oh, Laura, come on. I was at a wedding of a uni friend the other week and she casually, she was quite drunk. It was her wedding day, fair enough. But she was telling someone because we were talking about my alopecia. And she said, oh yeah, well, we all knew Laura wore a wig, but we knew she didn't want to talk about it. 
And I was gutted. I was like, excuse me. I thought, because I was wearing a £3,000 wig at university, that I had saved up so much to get these £3,000 wigs. So yeah, to hear my uni friend casually say, we all knew. It's just bizarre because I was living in my own little anxious bubble, Mm. not knowing that people would like, whatever, they didn't judge me for it. Yeah. They were judging me, like you say, maybe for the fact that I wasn't talking about it so that they felt they couldn't talk to me about it. Yeah. Which yeah. is a real shame because, you know, friendships are the things that can make everything easier in life. So it sounds like medically they kind of, they dealt with what the condition and the symptoms were as much as they were able to with the drugs available and, and it kind of binary sort of process. But if there had been a more holistic approach, what type of support? I'm guessing some of it is available now because of what's coming through the third sector. But what Mm. sort of support is available out there now that you think would make a real difference? I think, unfortunately, a lot of it is being driven by charities Mm. like Alopecia UK, which is amazing. Um, And it is really that peer to peer support. The biggest change for me has actually been within the last couple of years being on social media and finding my own support network. And that has actually brought me on leaps and bounds in two years than it has in the 17 years previous. Yeah. Because I didn't have anyone to talk to that understood. Um, So I've created my own support network. And I think social media, that is definitely one plus if you use it in the way that you want to use it. Mm. I don't know within, for instance, the NHS, how much support there is in the sense that, again, it's solution driven. It's Mm. not holistic. It's we can offer you a synthetic wig. And that was really frustrating and difficult because I was lining up to have hair loss for the rest of my life. And it was pretty apparent my hair wasn't coming back. Mm -hmm. And these itchy, too big for my head because I was a child, you know, synthetic wigs that I still had to pay a lot of money for, even with an NHS discount, didn't work for me. And they didn't fill me with confidence and they didn't make me feel any better. And yeah, there wasn't any acknowledgement ever for emotional support. That's what I needed. I needed emotional support. I think anyone with a diagnosis of alopecia or a visible difference, or even an autoimmune condition like eczema and asthma, should be offered some kind of guidance on how to manage themselves moving forward. Whether it's because, like my alopecia, it was having an impact on my mental health, Mm -hmm. or whether it be something like asthma and allergies, which can be autoimmune, because you need to literally manage your condition and ensure you're looking after yourself. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, it sounds so obvious. Mm. And yet it's it's amazing that it's still so absent. And you've got to wonder what the reasons for that are. Is it funding? Is it capacity? Is it is it just not acknowledged? I mean, I can't believe that it wouldn't be acknowledged that there's an emotional mental cost to mm-hmm. having a visible difference in society, but it's possible. So let's talk wigs then. So I'm curious about the topic of wigs. So what is your decision around wigs? Do wigs work for you? Do they make you feel better? Do they not? What's your feeling generally about wigs? I think wigs can be really fun. Mm -hmm. I'm having a bit of a different relationship with them these days because obviously for me for so many years, a wig was a necessity. It was something that I felt I didn't have a choice in and I felt it was expected of me mm-hmm. to present and to assimilate as a normal hairy girl, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I would wear wigs regardless of the temperature. I would wear wigs when trying, you know, like dancing at a wedding to the point where I was getting so sweaty that it was slipping back and I had, as I call it, a five head because it was like <laughs> back here. And yet I didn't think, well, I could just whip this off and have a good time and just dance. I didn't go to theme parks, I didn't go to sleepovers because I was a wig wearer. So it was really frustrating to me when everyone around me was like, oh, but you wear wigs, you can change up the color, you can have so much fun with it. And you never have to pay for shampoo and hairdressers appointments. 
And it was just the absolute ignorance of people to acknowledge that the cost of wigs was yeah. astronomical. The maintaining of wigs, I still needed hairdressers, appointments, shampoo, conditioner, etc. The detriment to my scalp health, because I also have the autoimmune condition of eczema, wearing a wig for a 12 hour plus day, and it doesn't fit me mm. because I have a small head and I still have a small head. Don't know why. <laughs> I've got a big brain, I swear. But, you know. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but like it would rub and I would literally have cuts all over my scalp and you could see the line where my wig was. Wow. So it wasn't, you know, it was pretty obvious what was causing it. So for all those reasons, for many years, I freaking hated my wig, but it was a part of me and that was my way of dealing with it. Mm. My wig was part of me. It was my hair, I would call it. And then when the pandemic came and I didn't have to put on my makeup each day and put on my hair each day and present to the world because I was working from home and everything was kind of just put into perspective, my head started looking much healthier and better. And I was like, flipping heck, I've really put, been putting my skin through yeah. the ringer to present as a normal person here. Mm. And yeah, I just, I felt more comfortable in my in physically in myself. And so then I started thinking, why have I been doing this to myself? Why have I refused to leave the house? And I mean, I'm talking that that boundary on my door. To put my bins out, I would put a wig on. I wouldn't just pop out to do something. For me, it was the private version of me mm. and the public version of me. Mm -hmm. So wigs were public and bald me is private. And when you think of things in those binaries, you can't have a positive relationship with wigs because it's not natural. Whereas now, I very much am trying to teach myself that wigs can be an extension of an outfit rather than part yeah. of me. And I do change up the color of my wigs, finally, which my friends were saying for years I should have fun doing. <laughs> but that's also because I'm now on social media and I get sent a lot of freebies. I genuinely think about back when I was 13 and of course you want to try all the wigs, but they are really expensive. Yeah. But they have come on a long way. So actually in terms of what do I think about wigs now? Some of them are amazing. Yeah, they really are. There are some of them that are just incredible, yeah. aren't they? Mm. They're really beautiful. But yeah, I can hear the real switch in mindset as to yeah. how you now view the wig, which is a very different way of seeing it. So in terms of going out now, do you always go out without the wig? Is it a bit of a mixture? Do you have days where you feel like you need it more than others? Or is it simply, I'm going to a wedding and my outfit is pink, I'm wearing a pink wig? Or, you know, is it purely an accessory? Or is it... Is it a bit up and down depending on how you're feeling that day? Yeah, I think I'd want it to get to the point where it's an accessory at the moment. I have to be honest, you know, because this is over over half my life I've been bald now. Mm. In fact, well over half. So more of my life I've lived as a bald woman than I have as someone with hair, yeah. which is crazy when I think about it. But like anyone, my confidence does vary. Yeah. And to go out bald still feels like something I really have to kind of put my emotional armor because on Because people will look at me. I have had people come up to me and ask me how my cancer treatment is going because they just make an assumption that because I'm a bald woman, I must be going through chemotherapy. And I find that quite difficult. And some days I don't want to have to deal with that. Mm. I don't want to have to deal with people just staring at me or looking at me. And I like to chat to people. So I'd rather them ask a question and I can say, oh, well, I have alopecia, I'm yeah. perfectly healthy, it's an autoimmune condition, I just happen to not have hair. But why should I have to kind of deal with that? Why should I have to take on that emotional burden just to leave my house to put the bins out? So yeah, it varies, but I'd say at the moment, I probably exist more without a wig 
than with a wig. Mm. I tend to like to wear like a bandana or a head wrap or something because it just, for me, makes me feel less naked. Yeah. (laughs) But we're coming into summer now. A goal of mine for summer 2022 is really to put comfort first. Mm. And when I'm boiling hot, like I was on my way here today, just whip it off. Yeah. And so I've walked into your office here today as a bald woman and I didn't even think twice about it. Yeah. And maybe that's because we're here to talk about it. I don't know. But I think sometimes it's that thing of this is a part of me, but also not being scared that if I saw you again in a couple of weeks time for a meeting, maybe I will wear that pink wig. Yeah. And and not being wedded to this idea that it's it's something I have to disclose or reveal to someone. People change their hair all the time. Why can't I just have more fun with it? When you're out and about, do you still receive kind of negative feedback about it? Or is it more of a curiosity or making assumptions, like you say, about cancer? Do you ever receive anything that's just overtly rude or offensive or not okay? Overwhelmingly, I think people are curious. Mm -hmm. I think that's the reaction or concerned yeah which also can feel quite uncomfortable because i don't i don't want to be I, there's nothing wrong with me yeah it's fine i have been lucky but you could argue it's because i've not gone out enough yet completely mm. bald to have a fair representation of an average of how much i might get comments it's definitely a lot of non-verbal stuff and i've had people stare i've had kids sniggering mm. but you could argue that's coming from a place of curiosity as well yeah, the biggest one is definitely public transport I've struggled with because people really, really stare mm. there and it makes me feel quite uncomfortable because I wonder if it's going to develop into a comment, yeah. especially with teenagers. And maybe it's because I developed my hair loss at that age. So for me, that group in particular, is, I'm still, I go back into that mindset of, oh no, are the, are the boys looking at me? It's like, Nora, you're 31. Like, <laughs> you could shout them down. You don't need to worry about what those boys think about your bald it's, head. Like, it's also sometimes a lack of filter though with, yes. with that age group, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And to be honest, I think more now, when I do decide to go out bald, I have to tell myself, this is an opportunity for me to educate, which is a ridiculous thing to have to think and sounds, you know, like I think I'm some, I was going to say bigwig, but <laughs> the opposite, the bald bird. But um, I feel like if someone does want to ask me or see me, at least it would be me they're asking or staring at because I am in a stronger place now where to deal with that. Mm. Whereas if that happened to me even five years ago, I might have crumbled. Mm. And I'd rather that person see me and have that experience of seeing a happy, healthy, bald woman in me than potentially ask a girl at the start of her alopecia, why are you wearing a wig? What's wrong with you? And her not being able to deal with that or him because obviously alopecia doesn't matter how old, what age, what gender, like... Yeah, can it emerge at any time then? Yeah. So I, any anyone can kind of, at any point in their life, experience it. I don't want to scare you because you've got a great head of hair. <laughs> but, you know, and you see, but you're, you're, you'll be fine. You don't have a lot. So like I said, because I've got other autoimmune conditions, potentially I'm yeah. a bit more predispositioned to get it. So there is a genetic factor, but unfortunately it is just completely random mm. as well. And through social media, I've met, all sorts of people with different types of hair loss. A lot of hair loss is actually hormonal. I've met so many people that have had a baby, for example, and then developed that type of hair loss. But one of my best friends on Instagram is a 40-something Scottish amazing woman called Michelle. And she developed alopecia about five years ago, out of the blue. 
yeah no particular trigger just I mean again there could have been something stressful but everyone has stress in their life yeah so it's really hard to pinpoint and and also because you don't always notice as soon as it happens I look back at photos of myself and I think wait I'm 11 there but is it looking like my hair's thinning like is that a ball and I just don't know because also back then we didn't have the cameras on the phones and stuff so I barely have any photos and when I did notice that first bald patch I didn't want to chronicle it Mm. I wanted to ignore it I wanted to pretend it wasn't happening so now when I tell people about my experience especially other people that are going through the start of their hair loss they want to know timings how long it took what were the size of my patches and I don't know because I didn't want to deal with it. So at that time, because you're not that old, but it is still a little while ago that you were 13. You can invert the numbers now. That's quite depressing. (laughs) I was 13 and now I'm 31. So in terms of representation and role models and people, so obviously we've now got social media, which was not quite as big back then. But did you have anything back then that you could look up to and think there's someone who's like me, even if it wasn't, alopecia if it was a visible difference i'm hearing that your mom had some visible differences but in kind of popular media was there anything that you looked at and thought well at least i'm represented there i can see that there is a place for somebody with visible difference in short no Mm. didn't feel represented and it felt like something that i was very much ashamed of i was embarrassed to be a bald girl and so what is interesting is around the time that i was developing my hair loss so was Gail Porter, who yeah. is a very popular TV presenter, and she's amazing. And I've actually now done an Instagram live with her to ask her all about her experience, which was such a like pinch me moment. Amazing. Because amazing. she was somebody that was in the public eye and talking openly about alopecia, and she refused to wear a wig. So that was amazing in some ways, but because I wasn't dealing with it and I didn't want to talk about my alopecia. I avoided it. I didn't want people to ask me or say, oh, like Gail Porter, because I wasn't in a place yet where I was ready to own my alopecia. Mm. So even though she was doing an amazing job and maybe it did really help because at least people had a point of reference to understand what condition I was talking about. But, you know, if she'd offered, and I'm sure she would have because she's amazing, like to come into the school and do a talk or something, Mm. I would have been mortified. Because yeah. I didn't want to be the bald girl. I didn't want to be the girl with the wig. Whereas now, finally, all these years later, I've realised that actually if I embrace it, I'm not all about my alopecia now, but it's okay to kind of make the most of my difference. I want to be that role model now for someone else because mm. even though Gail was there, she wasn't as accessible as she is now, for example, because there wasn't social media in the same way. Mm. Whereas now there are role models all across the globe and all at the end of your phone. And I think that is going to be huge for the next generations coming up and having visible differences. Yeah, it's brilliant that though, because you're doing what you didn't have, which is wonderful because it's breaking the cycle, isn't it? And hopefully other people who are maybe at the beginning of their journey will hear this. They'll listen to some of your experiences and they'll be better informed as a result of it and maybe less frightened of some of the things that are about to come down the road. I'm curious about it because everyone jumped on the bandwagon. There was this, you know what I'm going to say before I even say it, don't you? So the Will Smith, Chris Rock, interaction around alopecia and of course all of us with no experience of alopecia all had a view but I'm curious about your take on that because you've lived this this is is part of your life today and it has been for a long time so what did you make of that interaction 
I think that Jada was more than capable of handling herself Mm. and her response was immediate and real, authentic. Mm. She rolled her eyes. She gave him the stink eye. She let that comedian know, you've crossed the line. I'm not comfortable. I'm not going to give you a laugh. Mm. I'm disengaging now. Yeah. That was enough. I think what's interesting is Will Smith, everyone's kind of analysed those clips. He laughed and then saw his wife's reaction Mm. and then jumped into like protect her mode. There are so many things to unpick there, but the overwhelming feeling that I had was this is a moment where something has happened and everyone is confused. They don't understand why this is a big deal. They don't understand what's happened. And that leads to all sorts of people jumping in and talking about toxic masculinity and all these things. And I just wanted to use that opportunity to just clear the decks and say, no, 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 no. Let's bring it back to Jada. The reason that she rolled her eyes and didn't like that joke was because her hair loss is medical. It is not a choice. She has come out at the Oscars and looks amazing. Yeah. And you just made her the butt of your joke. And yeah, it was a silly joke. There are far more offensive jokes. Mm. I know that. And I do agree to an extent with people like Ricky Gervais, although I have lots of issues with some of the stuff he's followed up and said, that humour and comedy should be a way for us to kind of deal with the difficult conversations and it is it's a vehicle for us to kind of talk about the stuff that we don't feel comfortable to but you just have to be so careful because you don't know if you're belittling someone's experience and there will be so many people that were proud like I was to see Jada sitting there not wearing a wig really Mm. just embracing her you know bald beauty and then it just felt like it was completely undermined by the fact that that was pointed out. Why should a male comedian or any comedian feel that he has the right to comment on the appearance of a woman because she's not got long hair? It's just a very odd thing to me. But the silver lining is I was much more succinctly than I've just done there. (laughs) I I had a lot to say about the Oscars incident and I totally newsjacked, you know, went on my local radio shows and I made it an opportunity to bring it back to Jada and to talk about alopecia. So, you know, if that is one thing that's come out of what was a really bizarre and horrible moment Mm. that made lots of people uncomfortable because they didn't understand, you know, was this moment of giving clarity to that and what the condition of alopecia was. And Google searches for the term alopecia skyrocketed. Like, I mean, went up ridiculous amounts. I actually had a marketing company send me the stats because I was curious. And so that's a positive, surely. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. The incident itself is horrific to watch and whatever side of the debate you fall on, Mm. it's just distinctly uncomfortable. Mm. But the fact that you're able to use it to elevate awareness of this condition and help more people to understand it on a worldwide stage can only help with when you're getting on that public transport and people are thinking about so in this scenario does this person have cancer or there's another possibility there Mm. and it's it's more well known than it was before that incident but yeah in an ideal world none of it would have happened at all but at least it's given you a platform to talk about your experiences and help people understand it a bit better yeah and I think that's the main thing I just hope that it's not just a short-lived thing that people retain that kind of moment so one final question I guess is if there's someone out there listening who is in the position now where they're experiencing some patches or they're really concerned about it or even maybe they've got the diagnosis but it's very early on have you got hints or tips or suggestions for like what you might have done in their situation and it might just even be reaching out to the communities that now exist but things that would have really helped you at that time. The medical aspect of the diagnosis 
it's definitely one thing and it totally helps to be mm. told that you have something you have a condition but that that's only as far as that can go the rest of the work is something you're going to have to do but it's knowing it's hearing me now or seeing on social media you are not on your own with this this mm. is so common any type of hair loss and it's something that there's a real stigma attached to it but people are just not talking about it but that is starting to change and alopecia for most people will be a bit of hair loss and then most times it will actually grow back so the one thing is i don't want people to be listening to my story of how my patches turned into alopecia universalis which means i've got no hair on my body mm. because that's the extreme and it won't be like that for everyone but even if that is how your hair loss develops like you're gonna be okay it will be okay mm. so many things now whether you want to wear wigs or don't whether you want to play around with makeup or don't, you can do whatever you want to do to make you feel comfortable. And there is no right way to deal with alopecia or any visible difference. So yeah, I just think knowing that, yeah, it's different. You might have a difference. You can't control it, but you can control your mindset and how you look and work to continue being the best version of yourself, whether you're hairy or not. Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for sharing everything that you have. So for the second part of our podcast, we're going to ask you to play our game, Full Disclosure. It's a chance for you to respond to a series of rapid fire revealing questions. So we have a deck of cards, which you'll see in front of you, and each one has a question written on it. When you're ready, just grab any card at random and answer the question that follows. So it's how would your friends describe you in three words? And I think oversharer is the first thing that comes to mind. Weird. Weird? Yeah. Why weird? I'm always that one. You know, you're like, everyone's giggling and you revert back to how you felt when you were teenagers and then someone says something bad and I just take it one step too far every time. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, everyone just goes, Laura. <laughs> so yeah, and overshare because I share all of my life story and there's much to their dismay sometimes because I don't realise that people don't want to do full disclosure all the time. Um, this is a perfect game for you. Yeah, exactly. And passionate maybe a friend of mine was once asked for something i did and he said passionate i get that yeah but i, I would never have thought today. never would have thought that my friend patrick would say that about me so ah. it was yeah well there you go perfect overshare a weird and passionate there you go what's the best advice someone has given you i don't know if where it came from but that whole the moment you stop caring what other people think about you everything is so much easier mm. i don't know who said it i don't know where i got that from but that is something that's firmly in my head and that is Great advice. Mm. It's a freedom associated with it, isn't there? What's the most embarrassing song in your playlist slash collection? Ooh, I don't know. I'm really into my 70s music, but there's nothing embarrassing about that. I don't know. I was grooving on the way here to Smith's Club 7 that was on the radio. So <laughs> what was it? Go on. Uh, it was it a reach for the stars. It wasn't reach. It, it was um, bring it all back to me. Oh, yeah. that's all right. Sunny day tune. <laughs> Finish this sentence. No one talks about hair loss. Apart from here right now. <laughs> what did you want to be when you were growing up? I wanted to be a journalist really badly because I've always liked writing and chatting to people. But my auntie once said to me when I was about 12 years old, you could never be a journalist because you're terrible at deadlines, Laura. What is your biggest regret? 
I think everyone always says that it's better not to have regrets. Realistically, there is part of me that regrets taking so long to really interrogate my feelings around my hair loss and wasting so much time. It feels like not living my best life because I was a wig wearer and because I was afraid of talking about my alopecia. Mm. So yeah, that's my biggest regret. Share a story of when someone, something has inspired you. There's just so many amazing people on social media now that I have the chance to, to follow and chat with. I'm really inspired by my friend Victoria, who's founded a clothing line for adaptive fashion. And she's just been plugging away, working away for years. And I feel like she's really on the cusp of, like she was at London Fashion Week and she's- Amazing. Yeah, she's gonna be blowing up. I need to invest in her. She inspires me because she is so passionate and she has health problems and has disability, but she will just keep pushing and she's a spokesperson and she's just a wonder woman, yeah. What is your biggest fear? Well, it used to be, genuinely, my wig falling off in public. My biggest fear now is probably moths. True story. <laughs> it's quite a shift. They always go for the face. Mm. And it really freaks me out. Yeah, I have trouble with fluttery things. Anything mm. that flutters, birds, mm. butterflies, it's a problem. Yeah. Last one. What would be the title of your life story? Getting wiggy with it? <laughs> I mean, you can't leave the podcast on any better a note than that. That is genuine genius. Can you put that song as like my... As the, the, as the tune Will taking Smith. us And out. it's Will Smith as well, so it's oh, cool. Oh. There you go, it's linked in. <laughs> I, I, I don't know whether we'd be able to with the royalties issue, but it's yeah. definitely a thought we Do will look into. Do you want me to sing it now? Go for it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, honestly. It's been really fun, but also very revealing and talking about really important issues and making them hopefully accessible to the people who need to hear them. So massive thank you for giving of your time today. Thank you.